This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 116. Today on our show, Ron Irvin. And we're just in Norwood, and we start talking, and somebody, our buddy tells this story about how he had a substitute teacher who was like this really kind of older, grizzled Vietnam vet, kind of quiet, but really nice guy. One day they're in class, and somebody brings up Charles Manson. And one of the friends goes, isn't Charles Manson from Norwood? Ron Urban is a Cincinnati native who sort of fell into acting while pursuing stand-up comedy. After moving to Chicago, he found steady work as a regular extra on the TV series Chicago Med. He's now left that series and soon will be leaving Chicago and heading to New York to concentrate on stand-up comedy full-time. Ron talks about the viral video he made a few years ago, Don't Talk S About Norwood, working regularly on a TV series, refocusing on stand-up and a whole bunch more. If you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal, Venmo, uh, either of those. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now let's talk to Ron Irvin. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I, Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. Josh, do you know Ron? I I wasn't uh, uh, aware of Ron and him being in Chicago and anything like being a Cincinnati guy. I don't. I, I don't believe we've met before. I think your name rings a bell. We might have run into each other at some point since, because I come home a lot and I do shows every now and then. I'm there, but like I know your name, but I can't remember if I've ever met you or not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, in case not, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> there you go. So I guess the uh, the obvious question we always ask, and you're a fan of the podcast, you know, and I, and I will ask it. Uh, what high school did you go to? Princeton High. Okay, so up uh, on the up, uh, what? I guess Sharonville. Yeah, yeah. Go Vikings! Absolutely. There you go. The old building. Yes, I actually. It was probably only about three or four years after I graduated is when they tore that down and built the new one. Yeah. Maybe even longer after that. I graduated in 08. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was a little while after that. We were up there one day doing I don't know what, and all of a sudden I noticed they were building something across the street, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And then yeah, they. Uh, they done tore the old high school down. And they got rid of that cool bridge. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. Is that weird going back and like not seeing your old high school? Because whenever I go home to my mom's house, right before I turn into development, you turn left into the development or you turn right into the parking lot of the high school. And it's still there and it still pretty much looks the same. I always forget. I'm always like, I'll come back. Like I said, I come home a lot and I'll just be like, in a car going up 75 or whatever and i look over and i'm like oh yeah that's right but the football field is still there that's it the rest they moved right i believe so i believe the stadium yeah. is still where it is yeah yeah so yeah and I, there was some other story behind that as well why they did that and i can't remember what it was now but um yeah so uh so you're in chicago now i am i've been here for about five years a little over five years okay and then what took you to chicago uh, basically, I was born and raised in Cincinnati, always wanted to do comedy, kind of did it sporadically from about 18 to 24 or so, 
And then with my time in Rocky Horror and doing all these other little things, it was probably about the age of 24, 25 when I was like, I really need to focus on this if this is what I want to do. And once I really started going at it, miking, things like that, I just came to this realization of I love Cincinnati. I want to be here. But I know that if I want the growth that I know that I need and I want, I need to go to a slightly larger market and didn't want to go to New York yet. But I knew that Chicago was a great middle ground. Yeah, a lot of our – a lot of our comedian friends end up there. I think Mike Cronin is still up there. And uh, Actually, I think he just, just left. left. Oh, yeah. gee, there you go. And uh, I know Alex Stone was there for a while. I, I got to keep up, right? Don't you, don't you read the stand-up comedy trades? Uh, no, I, I don't. You think I'd know this from Facebook, though, because I'm, I'm friends with all those guys. <laughs> um, so you had showbiz aspirations from a young age, I reckon? Uh, ever since the age of eight, uh, that was about it. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Uh, it's kind of weird now because of, uh, what we know. Uh, but yeah, my dad had every single Bill Cosby record on vinyl and he would put them onto tape and I would listen to him as I went to bed and I would do the bits for the kids the next day at school. And ever since then, that was it. Yeah. It's weird that you have to feel like you have to apologize for being positively influenced by yeah it's one of those where i can kind of look at it and i can't obviously you can't take away what he did for me in comedy in general that's a given you can't reverse the past um but i think i can look at it and be like i can look at that and appreciate and accept it and also think he's a monster who think uh he should get whatever he deserves finding the the balance for for sure yeah so you would you would just hope that people would have like the understanding that when you say that you're 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 basically implying like before we knew all of this stuff, right yeah but but people are the worst and you you have to overexplain right exactly so what did you really envision yourself doing so I know when I was like seven or eight I wanted to be you know like on Saturday Night Live or or something like that or would that that have been right about no it didn't go come on till seventy six I'm old but anyway and but then I kind of gravitated more toward not the performing aspect of it but I started watching Second City I, I fancied myself well I'd maybe uh, be a writer who only sometimes performs you know uh, and so what was your kind of mindset or did you even have one at that young age. I knew that the two things that I've consistently remained super passionate about have always been stand-up comedy and filmmaking. Like I do the acting thing and I love acting and it's great. But if there's two things I always had to nail down, it was always just nerding out over stand-up and nerding out over every single movie I could get my hands on. So like what what are some of your favorites that you recall growing up? Uh, when I was growing up, I was lucky enough to have a dad who was cool enough to show me R-rated movies. And I just remember being nine years old and like he, it was just this marathon of every classic seventies comedy from airplane to everything Mel Brooks ever touched. I loved all the naked gun. Just all those weird seventies comedies were big me for me when I was growing up. Those are, uh, that's right in my wheelhouse. So like, those are all my favorites for sure. Uh, it's funny because uh, someone just on – I don't know even uh, – oh, f- someone I'm friendly with on Facebook who runs a, a podcasting group actually posted the scene from Fletch. And you'll appreciate this, Josh. I know it's one of your favorite movies. Oh, all yeah. of a All of a Bloody Mary, a steak sandwich, and a steak sandwich. They showed yep. a little – and then it, all below that, everybody started posting all their favorite lines. So, of course, I posted, God, <laughs> I admire you. <laughs> Which I use as a meme it's now. The, and, it's the best. Yeah, yeah. Other than Ace Ventura, it's my favorite comedy of all time. Oh, man. Those are all great. I just rewatched The Naked Gun probably two days ago because it came up on Netflix. How just like 
there's a don't get me wrong there's a fair amount that doesn't hold up it's from the 80s or whatever but god just beat after beat last per minute i was like dying for almost an hour and a half i think it's the wordplay i think the wordplay holds up which is what i'm such a huge fan of obviously like you said with airplane the naked gun i went back uh and watched uh, police squad because that that was on oh, before yeah. i knew what naked the naked gun was so like i had never seen like the inspiration you know from the files of police squad so i found the dvd somewhere and bought it and watched them and it it was hilarious i i oh sorry like attached to it wasn't attached to like a memory you know what i mean because sometimes like things maybe aren't as good as you remember them to be because there's a certain memory attached to it so i went into that fresh and i thought it was fantastic and then my wife bought me the muppet show box oh man and it still holds up oh yeah so much wordplay in that and it's still funny well, with Police Squad, you know, I use that. I teach when I do the comedy writing for the young people. I'll show them an episode of Police Squad, usually the, the pilot episode. And it only lasted six weeks in the summer of 1980 or 81. And yeah. I tell them, you're going to find, you're going to, if you watched all these, you will immediately find out they go in full bore. But I think six weeks into it, they realized, you know what? We can't sustain this over the course of 20, 21 episodes. <laughs> and a lot of gags get repeated. Cigarette, yes, I know. That comes up a lot and things like that. But yeah, but it's still great. And like with Airplane, what I always teach the students is the variety of humor. There's sight gags. There's parodies of current events. There's parodies of commercials of the day. There's the wordplay. Uh, there's just general silliness where they're all lined up to beat up that woman. And then the last guy in the line <laughs> got the, the bat he's sitting. It's just... That kind of stuff is just craziness. And uh, I, there's like such little subtleties too. Yes. That almost uh, like you have to watch it a couple of times to pick up, you know, like the credits. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> during the credits for Police Squad, like like they make it look like they're, they've taken that, uh, you know, they froze the video. Yeah. But they're just, they're just holding in place right there and yeah. like slightly moving and stuff. And it's, it's so funny if you, if you notice it, but it's very easy to not notice it. And that's what I love about that humor is that it's like, you know, you put something on there that you, you have to be aware people may or may not catch. You just hope they go back and watch it enough that they'll catch it at some point that's what i love most about 30 rock oh yeah that i watched it loosely when it was on live and then jenny and i went back and started it at the first episode on netflix and every single time i picked up something that i hadn't noticed before because there Hmm. were just so many tiny little jokes in there and it just it gives you it gives you a reason to keep watching it over and over. That was and, such a good show. And kind of related to that, something Dennis Miller used to say was that he would do these jokes knowing that only a little bit of the audience would get them or have a reference. But he goes, you know, sometimes you got to play to that ten percent. And uh, he's absolutely right because if you get it, you're really excited that you get it. You know, that ten percent will be really excited. The other nine, you'll just wait for the next joke, and that ten percent yeah. will be like, yes, I get that. I know what he's talking about. This one's just for the fellas. Everybody can wait. <laughs> right? <laughs> so d- I guess those all informed your comedy. So, but what, did you fancy yourself acting or, or actually doing comedy? Or what was kind of, what was the trajectory from like, you know, age eight-ish all the way up into high school and that in, the, in those formative years? And in high school, middle school, high school, it was all theater kid stuff. I was a theater kid the entire time I was there. Uh, I would do like stand-up at talent shows and things like that, but more or less... If, you know, when you're of that age and you're kind of looking for a performance outlet, the theater group kind of ends up being 
where you fall into. And I'm saying this as a former theater kid. I don't think theater kids deserve human rights. I'm going to put <laughs> that out there. Yeah, my daughter did it for a little bit uh, <laughs> in school, and, and she she wasn't keen. Um, but uh, she did enjoy the experience. Yeah, theater kids can either be – it's either the most fun that you'll ever have or the absolute worst people in your entire life that you'll ever meet. They will either have like the best drugs or be the biggest bullies, and there's no in-between. You know, it's funny because I tried to go into the theater thing in high school, not to think about it. And I'm like, we're going to one of the couple of the meetings and went to a couple of rehearsals. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stick to radio and TV. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> this, that was a good call. This isn't my bag, man. It's <clears throat> a very good call. Yeah. So did you end up doing any stand-up in Cincinnati or did, did you more gravitate towards acting as you got, got older? So basically what happened to me is I remember when I turned 17, pretty much almost right as I was graduating high school, is when I joined the, lock, the local Rocky Horror Picture Show cast. Uh, that was kind of a natural pr- transgression or transition from, you know, high school theater kids. Could be both. More adult. <laughs> What's that? Could be both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it depends on who you talk to. Um, but with that, I had, I remember I would do, I would do like the pro-am at Go Bananas every once in a blue moon. And I would hear about like a local open mic every once in a blue moon. It stand up was a very every now and then thing for me. And I think. And it was a bigger problem and it was a bigger reason of why I left to Chicago is I realized – don't get me wrong. I love doing Rocky Horror. I did it for eight years. I still do it when I'm in town. But I realized that doing that while fun wasn't fruitful, but it scratched that performance itch that I needed. And I shouldn't have just been satisfied with that all that all those years. So, you know, your voice sounds a little like Tom Hanks. I, uh, you know, I've heard that before. Yeah. You getting that, Josh? Like Dan Horde. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I was trying. I'm sitting here thinking, who does this sound like? I'm, holy crap! Sounds like Tom Hanks. <laughs> well said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Now I'm just scaring my dog for no reason. That's funny. <laughs> so what? That we you got up in Chicago. Did you immediately start trying out for stuff, or did you try to get into the stand-up scene there? Or what happened? So- Moving up here in Chicago, I would say for probably the first two years, it was absolutely nothing but stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. That was all I did. If I wasn't at work, every breathing moment was at an open mic or at a show. And I think more or less what that was on top of me just trying to grind and put in work. It it was just such a big scene that I was trying to go everywhere and just basically be to everybody I could. Hi, my name's Ron. I live here now. I exist. And once it kind of got to that point, it was like, all right, we can like calm down just a little bit. So you dialed it back a little bit? Yeah, just dialed. It's like, look, you don't need to hit four mics tonight just to hit four mics tonight. Maybe go talk to a girl, be a human being, something like that. And did you try to get representation and try and get into acting at some point after that? So this is the this is the best part with all that. I started once it was like, you know, you should really dip your toe into acting out here. Right? I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, I should do that. That just started being little theater auditions and things here and there. Never really got to the point of applying for an agent. Um, and then I just started getting extra work here in Chicago because there's a lot of filming going on here. It's a decent paycheck. You get fed. And I was like, of course, I'll do that. So. I, I kind of make the rounds with all the shows out here just being an extra, and one of them is obviously Chicago Med with the Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Chicago PD kind of trilogy thing. And I'm just an extra as like a medical technician in the hospital, and they booked me for seven days, and I think it was on the fifth day. Uh, one of the assistant directors just came up to me and said, I don't know what your life is like outside of this, but I like you, and I called casting. And oh, wow. I said, 
I was like, I don't know what that means or entails, <laughs> but okay, thank you. Uh, and then that kind of run ended. The next season starts. I didn't hear anything. I just send this email to the people that I know are at the casting. And I'm like, my name is Ron. She said she called you. I don't know what this means. And they're like, oh, yeah, just get in here. So I've been in there ever since. And that's what I've been doing. So how many episodes have you done or do you have a? So what it is, is they have it's a hospital show, obviously. And they have obviously these are the stars. This is the main doctors, the main nurse or whatever. But then they have a tiny handful of us and they call us core. And what it is, is these people aren't the stars, but they also work in the hospital. So uh, there, there is a lot of like, yes, you're just kind of bopping around in the background doing kind of the extra thing. But then where it gets really sweet is where you're in the scene, like there's a situation happening, you're in it, you're in the hospital room dealing with it with the stars, or you get to say, hey, we need some help in here, or hey, the coffee's ready, something like that. So you're like Igor on MASH or uh, this guy named Bob who just occasionally – he's in the background. He's a corpsman, and every now and then he gets a line. And yes. Okay. Wow. And then eventually – yeah, Igor so got to move up to a little bit. You in that department that is needed a lot on the show, right? Like you want to be in the labor and delivery or ICU. You know, what you, you know what you want to be? You want to be a nurse. And I'm a medical technician. The nurses get used <laughs> constantly. The medical technician, it's very weird. Like we run the x-ray machines and things like that. So it's these weird specific things that you get. You know what the best part is about this? I feel like I can say all this because I'm going to be leaving Chicago here soon. So I'm not with uh, med anymore. Uh, they're not going back till September. Um, I, I was a technician, and, like, they didn't even give us names. They just used our names. So uh, my name <laughs> was MedTech Ron on the show. That's so funny. Yeah, thanks, NBC. <laughs> but it was a steady check. I mean, you would show – so you're, like, in a big run of episodes, right? It, it, it was. I was technically – that first little string, the, the initial one, was one season. So full-time-wise, I've been with them for the last two seasons. And wow. this year with the pandemic, um, I think our last day was March 20th. We were supposed to wrap April 16th. But then when this all kind of hit, they're like, you know what? We're just calling it. And then every show out here just ended early for the season. Hmm. So was that when you decided to leave Chicago or you decided before that when this season? Of I had. I had knew that that was coming up. I came out to Chicago kind of on the five-year plan, and March 1st of this year was five years. And it just kind of hit, and that thought popped up, and me looking at my situation, where I am, and I realized, I was like, you know what? As far as stand-up wise, what else can I really do out here? You do the bar shows, you do whatever, and that's great, but there you hit a certain ceiling. And I was like, also, I have the TV credit. And I was like, I feel like it's been five years. I've got the credit. This is the sign to get to New York. And that's the plan as of right now. So what is first on the agenda for New York? Is it establish stand up there, get steady acting work or just sort of repeat your experience in Chicago? I think it's going to be a, a partial repeat of Chicago. I think the biggest thing, though, is, you know, my thing is I didn't go to college. I just graduated high school, started doing whatever. And I kind of view Chicago as my college. I didn't come out here with specific goals of I'm going to get this, this, this. I came out here with the mindset of I'm here to grow and and overall, that's the overall goal. And I did now. And now me going to New York kind of feels like, okay, now it's time to start playing the game, really. So I think it's going to be a mixture of me probably doing what I did stand-up-wise in Chicago. I'm going to 
that first little bit, it's just going around. Hey, my name's Ron. I'm alive and I live here now. That's a big part of it. Uh, I will. I haven't tried to get representation out here. This is just indicative of who I am as a person. I was like, well, I've already got the job. What do I need an agent for? That's just me. I don't know how my brain works. <laughs> maybe, uh, you should, maybe you should try the same approach to just show up to the set and go, yeah, uh, Bill told me to stop by here. and you know. <laughs> Or drop those med names. You say, hey, yeah, uh, Karen in Chicago uh, said to show up. <laughs> I mean, and that's honestly it. I have thought about reaching out. I was like, I kind of have connects at ABC or excuse me, NBC. It couldn't hurt to maybe ask around for, I mean, even any kind of gig or whatever. But yeah, I, I feel like going out here and that kind of being, I mean, that's where the industry is. It's time for me to kind of start playing the game and really, really putting the nose to the grindstone and actually going for it, air quotations, if you can. I think it was Steve Gutenberg that – I don't know if this story is true or not. He used to tell it all the time that he uh, found an empty office on like the Paramount lot or Universal lot and started booking jobs for himself. He pretended to be his own agent. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Isn't that what Gallagher does? I, <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe Gallagher's brother. Um, <laughs> so was it – leaving Chicago, I mean you, you have that steady – Gig was attempting just to kind of stay and you keep getting that steady paycheck, or is there kind of a ceiling because there aren't that many shows, you know, filming in Chicago and things like that? So it's well, and and that's the other thing. And again, kind of it almost obviously on a smaller scale, but it kind of goes back to the Rocky thing where it's like I don't want to get complacent with this, and I don't want. Here's the thing. Again, I can say all this because I I'm done. I love Chicago Med and all the people who were there and for the opportunity, and it's great. I'm super grateful. I. I hate that show. It's so bad. <laughs> it's such a procedural nighttime soap opera. Like it, it, you just watch this show and they don't talk like humans talk. And I'm like, I'm grateful for this gig, but my God, this is nowhere <laughs> near what I want to be doing. Okay. Can't that be said of every, like, can't it just be, you know, CSI under, oh. uh, fill in the blank, you know, or law and order, fill in the blank. It's just like, cause these are Dick Wolf shows. Formulaic. Uh, why does it seem like things like uh, better call Saul and breaking bad nose arc, they just look different than the nighttime dramas. My wife was noticing that she's going, why do these shows just seem different than, cause we never watch net. We watch some network comedies. We never watch network dramas, but we do watch some streaming dramas and they just seem there's something about them that's just a little different that and i can't quite put my finger on it i think probably more than anything it's because they they usually i think in those instances they don't come at it from a procedural viewpoint i think stuff like med uh, and fire and pd it has to be wrapped up in an episode because uh, the people who watch it are all 89 years old and live in a northern suburb of chicago yeah and they're gonna forget you can't ask these people to remember plot details so when it really is, it's crazy. I think that's indicative of how television in general is getting very cinematic. Yeah, it's strange. Cause, and yeah, and it, I was going to say, and the way they're shot uh, seems a little different too. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's very interesting. Uh, so you said you've, uh, have you moved to New York yet or are you still in Chicago? No. So what the plan is now, obviously you have COVID. This is yeah. a little bit of a wrench in the machine. Uh, the plan was my lease is up here in August. I was going to get out in August. I was planning on spending a month in Cincinnati, just being home, seeing every that'd be great, then make my way to New York. Then this stuff kind of hit, and the idea was implemented in me of like, well, why not stay through the year? Save up some more. You'll be home for the holidays, do some comedy there. And I was like, you know what? Actually, that's not, not that won't be a bad idea. I've had to dip into my savings. I might do that. 
But then I just did some math, and it turns out I might actually be good to go straight to New York. So here's where I'm at. I think with all this, it's very dumb for me to try to plan too much ahead. But what I know as of right now is I will be home in Cincinnati for at least a brief period, and we'll be going to New York in the very near future. The dates are just somewhat up in the air right now. Yeah, well, understandably. And you did this fake tourism video uh, (laughs) about Norwood. Now, I thought you were from Norwood, so I thought, oh, this will be in here. It turns out you're from uh, Sharonville area. So how does the the Norwood thing come about? Well, that's where my dad – my parents divorced when I was seven. And uh, my father – when you had uh, my uncle, Rob Irvin, which we have uh, of the previous episode. Oh, you're kin? I thought it was just a coincidence. No, that's my uncle. Oh, Wow. When he told the story about his brother telling the radio guy, hey, my brother's looking for a job. Yeah. That's my father. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who got him the 97X recommendation. Worlds colliding. Oh, wow. No, my uncle is 100% responsible for my sense of humor, everything I want to do. He just drove it. Every Christmas or birthday, he would get me a normal gift and then just like the most random CD you could think of, be it blues, <laughs> be it hip hop, be yeah, it rock, yeah. whatever. And I always wondered why. And now I'm so grateful because it just like expanded my taste at such a young age. Yeah, he's great. Rob is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, small world, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, so my parents split. My dad ended in Springdale. My mom went to Hartwell. That's how I ended up at uh, Princeton. So the story behind that was I lived at a place in Norwood. This was probably 2011, 2012, something like that, maybe 13, hanging out with another friend who kind of did comedy at the time and then our just buddy. And we're just in Norwood and we start talking and somebody, our buddy tells this story about how he had a substitute teacher who was like this really kind of older, grizzled Vietnam vet, kind of quiet, but really nice guy. One day they're in class and somebody brings up Charles Manson and one of the friends goes, isn't Charles Manson from Norwood? And this guy who is usually very reserved and quiet, apparently out of nowhere, just sparked up and went, Charlie Manson, don't talk about Norwood. And it was the funniest thing that they ever heard. And apparently (laughs) anytime anybody said anything about Charles Manson, he would just pipe up and scream that. And I was like, that, I don't know why it's so funny, but we have to do something with that. I live in Norwood. We're in Norwood right now. Let's do it. And we made a fake tourism video for Norwood. I seem to have some and, recollection of this now that you're mentioning it, because I think this got some traction some places. It I, kind of weirdly did. So we we put it out. It took us like an hour to make it so shoddily made or whatever. And we put it out. We're like, sure, three people will see this and appreciate it. And it was just one of those refresh. It's got 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And just kind of kept going up and up and up. And I think it's around like 70 or 80 now. But it kind of went like a little weirdly viral locally. And we went on like 97 Rock reached out to us to do an interview. And they gave me the address. And again, I lived in Norwood. I literally poked my head out the window and turned left. And I was like, oh, there they are. It was (laughs) right there. I walked there. It was five minutes. Um, But that was cool. And it was whatever. Ha, funny video. Put it out there. I moved to Chicago. I think I'd been here for about a year. And somebody just posted on my Facebook wall, hey, it's really cool that Listerman made a beer named after your video. And I went, excuse me? And they showed me a video, and Listerman Brewery had made a beer called Don't Talk Shit About Norwood. And we were like, news to us. And I contact my friend who I made it with, 
And we reach out to Listerman, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's cool. Can we have your Twitter handles? And we'll throw them on the back. And they did. And that's the history of that. Wow. Yeah. I have tried it. I'm not a drinker. I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. But if you are a drinker, I think you will enjoy it. And you should go get yourself some. Hmm. I'll have to have a go at that. Um, it's kind of strange how uh, some, well, the other two cities I've lived in, one, there was a suburb like that that people made fun of, and the other one, there wasn't. And Cleveland, Parma is the, kind of the butt of everybody's joke, but then they turned around and kind of embraced it, kind of like Norwood, I think, is trying to do. And in Pittsburgh, I don't think there is a suburb that's like that, and there's really only three places I've lived. Is that like that in Chicago or anywhere else you know where there's that kind of one area of town? Or Josh, have you traveled where there's a, a one suburb kind of gets the butt of the metro area's jokes? Yeah, I mean, it's almost hacky to admit it, but uh, there's, I would say almost every comedian at some point had a joke where when you got to the town, you would basically describe, you know, for for our sake, Norwood or over the Rhine or something and say, hey, what is this part of town here? And you could use a joke that you wrote for, you know, some other city uh, anywhere by just plugging in a local reference. And it was, it wasn't always that it just was a joke that would get a laugh, but there's just something about having the audience believe that you wrote that right when you came into town. That's like, Oh my <laughs> gosh, he's, he's one of us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess the same thing with like sports references and stuff too. Although, uh, I guess being sports minded that helps and maybe there's a little l- less of that guy, I guess, pre-creation. Yeah. You know, this is, I don't know why this kind of weirdly reminds me of this story. This was a few years back. Do you guys know Stuart Huff? Yeah. In Atlanta? Oh so, yeah. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I got, uh, I got hit up to feature for him in Sydney, Ohio a few years back. And I'm like, I'm from Ohio and I don't know that that place exists. I don't believe that that's a real place. Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine from college is from there. So that's the only reason I, I know. <laughs> they did. I ended up doing like, I did that show and I think I did a few more at the same spot. They were always awesome. But he went out there and I featured for him and the show was great. And it was awesome. Blah, blah, blah. And we walk outside, we're all smoking outside and whatever. And it's just chat, chat, chat. And there's this like 40, 50 year old woman just sitting on this bench. And there's just a moment of silence. The conversation kind of dies and she just hangs her head and you can all just hear her go. I'm just so glad that there's something to do in this town. And it was the most depressing thing. <laughs> He's like, you can just move. Did you know that? Yeah, that's just uh, north of Dayton, I believe. Yeah, yeah, like 45 minutes out. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so were you doing, uh, when you got this the steady gig on med, did it leave you any time to do any stand-up? Or I guess I imagine it's pretty long days on the set there. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, normal film sets are, uh, the full day for us, 12, 14 hours. A normal day for us, we're in at 6.30 a.m. And we'll get out around 7 p.m. or so. Um but you did have, you know, like there was like I worked in the ER and my character never left the ER. So there were plenty of days where you would walk in and they're like, we only have two scenes in the ER today and then we're going over to this other stage. So short days happen and those are nice. Also, I had a really good relationship with them as far as my stand up went. As long as I let them know as soon as I knew it was all good and they can let me out. Honestly, and it, this is so weird. I couldn't hit mics as much as I wanted to, and it's very weird, but it gave me a good perspective that I'm sitting down here on the set of a network television show, and I consistently was like, man, I'm really bummed I can't hit a mic tonight. It just sounds weird, but it was awesome because it gave me that perspective, again, of like, I love acting, but stand-up was always like, that's the big thing. Love it, but that's what I'm really passionate about. Hmm. 
I'm curious. Do they film that? Is there? Is, uh, do they build a soundstage in Chicago, or do they use an old hospital? Because I know, like in Los Angeles, there's an old hospital they use for some shows. It's for Scrubs so, shot. Yeah. What they do for that is uh, usually it's kind of like parking lot shots. We have one of the hospitals that we go to. And why do I keep dancing around this? I don't work for them anymore. <laughs> they go to a hospital called Rush, and that's where they shoot kind of like outside parking lot things, like balcony things like that. Uh, for everything else. There's one big place that all the shows that film out here shoot in. It's called Cinespace. And they call uh-huh. them sound stages, but they're not soundproof. They're literally just these giant old factory buildings that somebody bought and hollowed out and built stages in. So you're sitting there and you're in the middle of the scene and you have to stop because there's a helicopter over by or literally just a loud car on the street, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of a sound stage. Ah. Uh. And they just like rats. You just see like that's just a rat. That's just a thing that you have to deal with. Is it a bad part of town or? Um, It's in considered what could kind of be a shady part of town. Uh, But it's rats because there's just high. There's giant holes in the wall and they don't cover them up because they don't care. They didn't even soundproof them, which I think is great. I think it's great to take these hoity toity Hollywood people and shove them in a building full of rats. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's funny because we a uh, couple spring breaks ago, we my daughter wanted to go to Atlanta and see all the places they filmed uh, Stranger Things, and oh, yeah. we did. Yeah, and we sh- and saw a lot of the exteriors. And then I was uh, talking to Paul Reiser on my podcast, and I asked him. I said, "Those inside the building there, which that was our coolest one to visit, was the big lab." I said, "They shot all that on a soundstage." He goes, "No, we filmed inside that building, that abandoned building. The only thing that was on a soundstage in Atlanta was the actual control room, the room where he's getting treated." The offices, everything, those are all inside the building. And he said, you remember walking by some of the uh, rooms and going, oh, they, the, the set crew did a really good job. And they'd be like, no, we're not filming in there. That actually is abandoned. <laughs> that's that's oh, real. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. So I, I'm, I'm confused. So when you go to New York, uh, you're going to pursue acting or comedy more? I'm... I would probably pursue comedy more. I would probably okay. seek representation, obviously, and take any acting gigs that came with it. Again, I love acting. Um I have certain things like obviously med is a good credit. That's the consistent one. But then I have weird things like uh, I mean, I guess I don't know if you know, but for anybody who might not know when you're filming, you use what's called stand ins or second team for actors, which is just somebody who kind of matches their physical spec. And you stand there while they line up the shots, cameras, things like that. And I worked as a stand in the most two recent ones where I worked on the recent season of Fargo. And that was really fun. That's just interesting. Med, it's so repetitive. It's one hospital stage, and that's it. Fargo is so much fun, and the stages and the sets were awesome, and that was great. But then the really cool one uh, was the latest. It's going to be coming out this year, I believe. It's a new Aaron Sorkin film called The Trial of the Chicago 7. And that um, – do you remember the Drew Carey show, his brother who cross-dressed? Yeah. I was the stand-in for that guy. Oh, he's a big dude. <laughs> He is the nicest guy you will ever meet in your entire life. He is the best. And then it's Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne are the other two stars, and they're super Wow. Yeah. Um, It's funny. My my friend, uh, I don't know if you know him. He's a comedian, Andrew Slater. Uh, He he met his wife, uh, Heidi, because he is a stand-in for Leonardo DiCaprio, and she is a stand-in for Carrie Mulligan. Oh, nice. Great Gatsby. Oh, nice. So they were just standing there talking to each other, you know, while they get the lighting and everything right. That's so and, cool. Uh, yeah, now they're married. So Margo is – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go ahead about Margo. 
I was about to say, Fargo was just fun. I, I will say this. Everybody for the trial of the Chicago 7, Aaron Sorkin, Sasha Baron, all the stars, celebrities, all those guys were great. They were all super nice, super approachable, and fantastic. That was one of the worst experiences of my life, was working on the production of that film. It was just horrible. It was outside in downtown Chicago in the dead of winter, and you were supposed to play it like it was summer, which obviously uh. brings problems, and that sucks. And there was just... There was at least one department, I won't say which, because I don't know how much I can say until the movie comes out, but communication is very key in things like this, and there was a certain department that didn't want to communicate with anybody, and it caused everybody's lives to be a living hell. And it's it's that, and then moments where, with Med are things that gave me really perspective of, like, I know I want to do this, but... God, I don't know if I want to work on stuff that's like this level. Every single like indie production I've ever worked on has been the greatest experience in my life. And you still get paid and fed. You know what I mean? So a dumb question. Is Fargo filmed in Fargo or is it one of these deals where they make another town look like Fargo? They, uh, in this, it's set in Kansas City for this season. And oh, okay. I know they I know they switch it up for every season. But this, yeah, it, it's they they'll do some stuff on sound stages for interiors. We do like some exteriors, but everything you just slap up, you just cover up anything that says Chicago and you just replace it with, you know, St. Louis or Kansas City, whatever you're. OK, that makes it. Yeah, it's funny because I, I wrote a blog post for our, the Cincy shirt site about um, eight men out because it's free on Pluto. It's free on all these streaming platforms. And I, I put it on in the background and. Uh, you know, nice replacement for baseball as opposed to watching games you already know, pretty much know the outcome of. But I was like, yeah. weirdly, none of it is filmed in Chicago. Cincinnati doubles for Chicago in the exteriors. Um, yeah. They use Louisville for the train station and they use uh, Old Bush Stadium, which is now an apartment complex in Indianapolis. But yeah, mm. it's a, it's all about Chicago. It, Cincinnati is just incidental in it. You see a couple of Reds players. They don't have any lines. Uh, right. But yeah, but over the Rhine doubles for uh, 1920 Chicago. It's really cool. It doubles for 1950s New York City a lot too. If you notice the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, there. yeah. Well, I guess it's because it's the they say it's the biggest area of 19th century architecture still intact, all in one place, uh, I, in America. I took I, I took I just took a trip out there. I think it was a couple of years back, and I brought some Chicago people who had never been, and we were hanging out like downtown OTR. And one of the first things they said to me was, "This looks like old New York." Yeah, um, it's funny where I grew up was settled by people from New England, and it used to double a lot as old New England towns, and it's you know right up on Lake Erie. So, uh, it, movie magic is funny that way, I guess. Yeah. So what uh, else? We, oh, sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. I was, was going to say the the masterpiece that is Gotti that was filmed in Cincinnati. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Seen, I will just say it is so worth a hate watch. It's <laughs> insane. Good reco. I, I forgot when you were talking about that building they have in Chicago that where they film uh, Med, uh, they were going to – they had a notion to do that here in Cincinnati where the casino is now. They were going to build uh, sound stages and Ooh. and the lady that was behind it said, yeah, this will be uh, – this is right around Rain Man time when movies were interested in filming in Cincinnati and getting out of California. And they thought this lady was crazy. They said, ah, you're nuts. And, of course, now, you know, <laughs> there's some film here you know, every other month, uh, it seems, it, for a while. It keeps coming. Honestly, I wouldn't yeah. put him past them to find somewhere where they might do uh, – probably out in the burbs somewhere like they do in Atlanta. But, yeah, honestly, next five, ten years, I that's not a crazy notion. Yeah. Well, look at Wilmington, North Carolina. I mean, it's become, you know – at least for a long time, it was a hub for places to, to film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got New Orleans and 
Vancouver, which is oh, Vancouver is huge. Of Canada, yeah, Pittsburgh, yeah, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh. When I lived there, the um, in fact, I was in a film in Pittsburgh, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Ooh, I'm an extra in that. Yeah, I don't think you can see me. Oh, and Gung Ho, you can see me in Gung Ho. Ooh, nice. When they get off the plane, uh, the Japanese get off the plane. You guys ever seen the movie? No, or know what it's about. Basically, uh, Michael Keaton goes to Japan to get this car company to come to the small Pennsylvania town to reopen the underwear factory as a car plant. So when the Japanese businessmen land at the airport, my buddy Mike and I are standing there on the rope line next to George Went, and I'm the tall guy in the orange T-shirt, and my buddy's got a, a red shirt with a black baseball cap on, and yeah, you can you can see us in Kung Ho. <laughs> see, that's always fun. Yep. Yeah. So uh, so what else have you – Med was the big one. What else do you say you'd, you'd been in that maybe people could find you in if they have a notion to go down a rabbit hole during the, the lockdown? So you have Med. Uh, there is another one. I'm in Empire having shoes thrown at me by Terrence Howard. That was a fun day. Ah. Uh, that, that was a great one. That was actually a really interesting one. I'm just like a, <laughs> I'm like a mover in this scene and he's kind of trying to kick his wife out of the bedroom. And it was really cool because we get there. It's the first scene of the day. They're sitting down and I got to watch – Taraji Henson and Terrence Howard really work out this scene and make it their own. And I, like as an actor, I was just sitting there watching them doing that. And I was like, obviously, I didn't think these were dumb people, but I saw them do that. And I was like, holy crap, you guys are really, really smart and really good at what you do. That was just an awesome learning experience to be a part of that. The other one, one that I'm really excited for, and it was supposed to hit theaters, but then COVID hit. So now it's just doing a straight to VOD. I think it comes out like May 15th. They filmed... Uh, it was an indie film here. Probably, again, one of the best on-set experiences I've ever had. It's called Working Man, about a factory that closes down and an old man who works there basically can't give it up, like, convinces all these workers that we can hurdle in here and we can, like, camp in the building and there's a chance we can save it. But that's really not the case. Um, and it was just – it was an awesome time. They used all natural lighting, which was interesting. I had a blast. I pop in it a pretty good amount. That's great. This is – I my life, my part got cut from a Lifetime movie. That was fun too. Uh, you can still watch it. I just won't pop up. Um, and then there was another one. If anybody can figure out about a movie called Final Choice, seems like – I mean they had a production. It was a big – they're using professional like the Ari cameras, whole crew and everything. This movie called Final Choice – where I played like a somewhat significant role and I cannot find any information about this film and casting is not helping me. So, so wait, they shot it and it's just, it just disappeared. They shot it. Like I said, you know, you do like student films or whatever, like little indie things. You expect those to kind of disappear into the ethos. This was a real legitimate production. I went through a casting agency and everything and I cannot find any information about it. Huh? So that's a fun one. All right. Well, since you sure as listeners, you have some homework to do now. Yeah. Track down this film and uh, and see if you can if you can find it. So yeah. what what have you been doing during the lockdown? I mean, if it's your well, the show would have wrapped anyway, but you really can't move on to do anything else, of course, because you know we're all stuck. I, yeah, I can't. So uh, luckily, my Trump bucks are supposed to be here on the 29th, so that's nice. Um, uh, and also, this is another cool thing that I found out. I guess technically on paper, NBC isn't my employer. Uh, it was the accounting company that they went through. So I get unemployment, which is, again, nice. Yeah. Um, but as far as that, I've been home a lot. I've been writing a lot. Um, I'm going through this whole big thing. Of like Over the last year, I lost like 90 pounds. So I'm on this big health thing. And this oh. – 
it's pretty much been like this is the thing that's keeping me busy is like my diet and workouts are going to be on point. So I'm basically in prison right now just doing <laughs> dips on a chair and like weird push-ups. But yeah, a lot of working out, a lot of like working on my diet, watching things, writing, trying to plan for the future as much as I can, hanging out with my dog, but that's about it. Hmm. And so, but the plan is still on to go to New York in August then? Uh, hopefully, again, I, I might Depending. En- yeah, end up sticking it out through the end of the year in Cincinnati. I think it all is really going to boil down to what all this ends up looking like. Hmm. Interesting. And so tell us a little bit for folks who, who maybe haven't seen you. First of all, is there a place where they can see any of your stand-up performing, YouTube, anything like that? And what's kind of your, your comedy like? So I have really – I'm big on kind of looking at how the media has shaped the industry and how it's going to continue to. Like I think a big thing is in comedy we have this thing of like the hour is a standard. Do you have an hour? I'm doing an hour. I'm recording an hour. And in right. reality, the reason that the hour is the standard is because when you were dealing with physical formats, that was like the label minimum in order for them to put it on wax. And here we are in 2020. It's a digital file. You upload it. It's as long or as short as you want. Also, everybody's attention span is shot. My attention span is shot. So I I look at things like that and I'm like, well, I don't really know if the hour is the standard anymore and how can I form that? So I really started to look to social media and kind of forming my act around like how can I deliver jokes between 15 to 30 seconds that work within this social media platform. And that's just to get people interested to pull them into things that I might do longer. But again, with going out with New York, I think this kind of fits in. A big thing I've been doing in this is sitting down and figuring out how do I format my art around the current stage of media? Um, that's a big thing. As far as like what my comedy is, I, I strive, I'm going to sound so freaking full of myself right now and I hate it. Uh, I really start like I don't have any jokes in my act about like dating or the like or things like that because I think I've always kind of come from art of a place of for me personally I don't really look for art that's relatable I don't want to be related to if I want to hear about a bad date I can just go on a bad date it's 2020 I have Tinder I can do that I want to hear thoughts perspectives experiences that makes you unique. I don't want to hear about me. I want to hear about you. And that's probably what I strive for the most in my comedy is to be as personal, as unique as possible. God, I hate how the words coming out of my mouth right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think it can be both. I mean, I think a lot of people enjoy going to a comedy show and being able to relate to the comedian because they like to know that it's not, just them that has gone through this or is going through this or has had to deal with that type of a breakup or, you know, I mean, they're looking for someone to make what maybe was uh, sad occasions in their life to find a funny sort of silver lining on it. I think there's for sure room for both, but I absolutely I get, I get your point. Right. I know uh, I'm talking to some uh, comedians that have gone over to Britain to perform, uh, like Dave Fulton and people like that. I was surprised to find out over there the standard is 20 minutes. And when you have a comedy show, you have three guys or gals perhaps, uh, and everybody does 20 minutes. And that that's it. Sense. The hour is not the standard. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I don't know how they develop that. but um, that, that makes so much sense. Great. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, I th- and I think Netflix knows that. And that you started to see Netflix kind of pump out all these 15 and 20 minute specials and doing well with them. And I think it's because they know just that. I think they know the industry is going to start steering away from these longer standards. Not to say that anybody like nobody's ever going to not do an hour again. It's just that's no longer going to be OK. Every special is an hour, you know. Right. Because I think less people are buying albums and more people are um listening to it on Spotify or Sirius and you're only going to get plays, you know, you're only going to get spins on there right. in, in three minute, you know, as a track versus a full album. But, uh, but I agree that I think, you know, what I, people that have uh, decided to do like a dry bar special, like I did that called me and asked me like, what do you think I should do for this? And I say, don't think of it as an hour you know, think of it as, uh, you know, 23 minute jokes because right. that's how they're going to cut it up anyway. So the better, the easier you can make it on them to cut it up in a bunch of tiny digestible pieces, the, the better that you'll look and the more pieces that you'll have. You know, if you have, if you give them some 10 minute story, they're not going to use that. Right. Let me look at this new network that just launched the Quibi. Oh, Quibi. Yeah. You know, it's it's all based on people only wanting to spend a few minutes on a certain thing, even if they like it, uh, right. because you know they just they want something to have in between meetings or you know take a quick break at their desk. You don't have to sit down to commit to an hour long show. Right. And you and like you were asking, podcast. yeah, you're asking like, where could people see myself? Like I have pretty much anything I put on YouTube, I unlist because that's just kind of what I send to bookers. I think if I were to really start putting clips on YouTube, I would want them to be of a certain professional ish quality. But if you go on my Instagram, it's full of clips of my stand up because that's kind of, again, going back to what I'm doing. I'm kind of trying to focus more to that right now because I feel like just with how things are going, that's going to be better for me building an audience. Yeah, Sam Morell does that a lot. I know I, I see him in my Instagram feed a lot. And and to that end, as, as Josh was kind of saying about m- making an hour that's more, um, I guess, more kind of bits and pieces is that when you go and do a thing like a Conan or one of, any of the talk shows, uh, some of the guys and gals were telling me that you know, often a producer will come out and see you perform and then help you kind of build your TV five minutes, which could be right. way different from your hour, even if your hour is, you know, uh, manageable chunks. So uh, do, do you kind of figure that into your uh, writing process at all yeah and that just kind of reminds me of this a big thing with when you go to new york or la as a, don't get me wrong again chicago's great and there is industry here but like the means of production aren't here which is the biggest thing you you know even if you're on just some whatever bar show in brooklyn there's a very real chance that there could be a i don't know fallon producer or something like that because that's how they find new talent is the small club shows or smaller shows like they send people out. It's just part of your job as a producer, which honestly is the thing I'm really looking forward to. Like I'm really looking forward there to being like real stakes. I love Chicago. I love the scene here, but I, I'm really looking forward to like being that challenge and having those stakes there. And yeah, starting to really talk to like real industry producers and work seeing I've seen how the acting end of this works on a professional level. I'd love to see what that looks like in the stand up form. Uh, I remember a question I had earlier and we, we blew past it when we were talking about acting in Chicago and things like that. Uh, Chicago for a long, long time was always seen as like uh, an improv and sketch town and maybe only in the past 10 15 years has it become 
uh, maybe equally or even more so a stand-up town. Is it still kind of that way? Do you have any, you know, uh, notions of going to Second City or anything like that? Uh, no, not really. It, it's, I think for me, I, I think things like Second City, first off, I love how there's a war between the stand-ups and the improvs in Chicago and the improv people aren't aware that it's going on. It's pretty <laughs> great. Uh, which means that we just bully improv people when they're not there. Um, uh, I never really had too much intentions of that. For me, I, I think Second City and the like, like I wouldn't be opposed to taking a writing class or something there. And I think the biggest thing with that is just learning those weird technical things that come with this is how you submit a packet. This is how it has to be formatted. Those weird little things you can't really learn anywhere else. I think those places are great for attaining skills. Uh, but I think the biggest thing and I think a big thing that a lot of people who go through those programs don't do is – you have to take those skills and you have to actually go out and apply them to the real world. Because if, I mean, if I just started naming off people I know who are just like, yeah, I'm just going to keep giving second city $2,000 every year. And then I'll be an SNL. Like that's legitimately how so many people think. Hmm. It's, I mean, I, it sounds exact, but it, it really is like, it's a thing out here. Uh, uh, Dave Foley, I, th- I think this was, he was on Marin's podcast, Dave Foley, Kids in the Hall News Radio for folks who uh, remember. Um, he, he, I, he said he was visiting Mike Myers, I think it was, and Mike asked him, you want to go see some improv shows? And Dave just kind of sighed and said, you know, I think all improv is in need of a good rewrite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it might have been the other way around. Foley might have said, but I'm pretty sure it was those two, and I'm pretty sure it was on Marin's podcast that he said that. That's- yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Uh, I'm glad we got to connect. And uh, it, uh, it shocked it took me to we were halfway into this thing to realize you were actually uh, Rob's nephew. I've known Rob's, gosh, since 1986. Oh, wow. Yeah. We worked together on the Burbank show. That's uh, he pulled me into that. And uh, did you ever go up and I, visit when you I tell I, yeah, or what did you ever go up and visit when he was working on the uh, Burbank show? I never went in there, but I grew up listening to those tapes and CDs, which probably explains a little bit about me. There you go. And I, I tell people, I tell comedians out here all the time, I tell them about like Rob. And I was like, yeah, my uncle was like technically a comedy writer in Cincinnati. Yeah. And every time I'm like, I need to dig up those CDs because there's some gold in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rob was very, he used to do a great James Carville. That was always funny. And so and I was, I'd sometimes try to write stuff for him, not just to perform, because he would write a lot and rewrite some of the stuff that got sent in. But he also, you know, he has some performing chops I don't think people realize. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's great. God bless him. Well, we've reached the point of the show where we're going to ask you for a uh, coupon code. And, of course, as a, uh, a regular listener to the show, you know how this works. So there's probably – we probably okay, you're ready to go. Great. We haven't stumped you. So um, – and for the listener, of course, a reminder, you can use this coupon code at CincyShirts.com and OldSchoolShirts.com uh, to pick up some fine merchandise, get 20% off. So, uh, Ron, what would you like your uh, coupon code to be for this week's episode? We are going to make the coupon code Norwood. Oh, of course. <laughs> God bless it. Yeah, it's got to find a good playout song now for the uh, interview here. Anything else to add, Josh? Uh, no, man. Thank you for being on the show with us. Uh, very fun. Hope our paths do cross uh, when you're in town. And obviously, best of luck to you as you make the big trip to New York City. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Great, Ron. Thanks for reaching out and uh, helping get us get this sorted. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, man. See ya. Right, Have bye-bye. a good one.
Ron Irvin. I uh, had to really dig for a uh, an appropriate playout song there, and uh, I figured this one would be good because, you know, Ron is moving to New York. Uh, that is a really uh, great lost 80s track there, Postcard to New York from Movie Land was the name of the band there. Uh, and I had no idea that uh, Ron was the nephew of my friend Rob Urban. Of course, Rob was on the show a few weeks back, episode 112, talking about Gary Burbank and 97X, and uh, yeah, found it halfway through the interview. Uh, and I had to put actor-comedian, uh, if you've been downloading this or whatever site you went to to get the podcast today, uh, and you see it says actor-comedian, I only really put that in there so people wouldn't think we posted the Rob Urban episode again, for clarification there. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast or someone you want us to get back on the podcast, why email us, podcast at cincyshirts.com. Put podcast guest in the subject line and tell us why you'd like to have that person on the show. Uh, of course, we've had a lot of repeat guests. Well, not a lot, a couple. John Keyswetter, the Haunted Cincinnati guy, and Ronnie Salerno have all been back for second visits, uh, talking about, you know, their particular disciplines, whether it be abandoned stuff or TV shows or or whatever. Uh, also, use that email, by the way, to uh, to chip in and uh, support the show, podcast at cincyshirts.com, PayPal or Venmo. Chip in whatever you feel is fair. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, do check out those Cincy Shirts podcast archives, 115 episodes back there, and uh, they're all gems, I can assure you. Uh, so listen to everyone uh, while you're still in the lockdown. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find all of their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and many more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Lots of uh, old defunct sports teams, uh, shopping centers, restaurants, old radio stations, old amusement parks from those towns. Like Cincy Shirts, but for those cities. And again, the promo code for this episode is Norwood. And that's been used before, I think, Eddie Fingers used Norwood. Or it might have been Jim Scott. I can't remember who used Norwood. But we're reviving it for a week here. So uh, you can go on to CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com or both, wink, wink, you can use it once at each site, and take 20% off your entire order. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest in T-shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye.